right about your faith? What if you've put your faith in the wrong place? That'd be a bummer <laughs> and a waste of time, too. What if, uh, what if Charles Russell was right? Do you know who Charles Russell was? He's the, the, uh, the guy, he was a Methodist, uh, I guess a Methodist guy. <laughs> and uh, he started wondering about things, and he ended up founding the Jehovah's Witnesses. Was he right? Maybe, maybe he was right, and we're all wrong. I wonder about Mary Becky uh, uh, Baker Eddy. Wonder if she was right. She founded the Christian Science Movement. Maybe she's the one that's right. Maybe we're all wet and we don't know what we're talking about. Wonder about the prophet Joseph Smith. Maybe maybe we're wrong and he's right. How do you know? You know? How do you know if maybe Gerald Gardner isn't right? The founder of modern day Wicca, repackaging spiritism for us all and leaving us with a wonderful gift of Wicca nowadays. Maybe he's, maybe he's the one that was right. What about, uh, I'm going to mispronounce this, but Gautama Buddha. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe we're celebrating the wrong, wrong season right now. Or what about Muhammad, who founded Islam? Maybe, maybe he's right and we're wrong. How do you know? And that's what I'd like to get to today is I'd like you to walk out those doors with a sense of confidence that you know, you know that your faith has been placed in the right, the right place. So let's, let's look at that today. And I want to start with this by saying the Christmas story started with prophecy. And this is going to really distinguish all those that I just mentioned, distinguish those from Jesus. And it all has to do with prophecy. And it starts about 4,000 years ago, so give or take, about 4,000 years ago. In Genesis 3.14 was probably one of the first prophecies that I can find about Jesus, who he was, and what he was supposed to do. And it was right after Adam and Eve caved, made the wrong decision, and there, right then and there, God go ahead, went ahead and started foretelling. You know what prophecy is? It really can mean a number of different things. Prophecy can, uh, can be God's word to you for right now. Prophecy could be God's word to you for right now. What you need to do right now in this situation, in this stage of life that you're in. But prophecy also has to do with foretelling the future. Foretelling the future. Um, I don't know if anybody here has gone to a palm reader or a fortune teller and hoped that you might get something positive told to you about your future. Let me discourage you from doing that. Everybody hear me? Let me discourage you from going to a fortune teller or a, prof uh, a palm reader. Don't go to those places to get your future read to you. That's a waste of time. Furthermore, it opens you up to all kinds of other things that you don't want to be in your life. All right? L hear me out. I hope everybody's very serious about this. Don't do that. All right? God has your plan in the palm of his hand, and he can tell you about your future. And you know what? Many times he will tell you about your future. He'll give you clues. He'll give you hope about your future, and that's all you need. And then you just follow him a step at a time. But anyways, God gave a prophecy uh, after Adam and Eve, Eve fell, and it was in, in Genesis 3.15. 
um, it says, I will put enmity, I can't pronounce that word, between you and the woman, speaking of the serpent and the woman, and between you and uh, your offspring and hers, he, listen to this, he will crush your head. <laughs> and it was very symbolic of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever watched The Passion, but there's a, there's a, a time when G the actor who's portraying Jesus takes a serpent and crushes its head under its heel, under his heel. He says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He was prophesying about Jesus and the, the authority and the power that the Son of God would have not only over devil, the devil, but he would also have over sin. He would crush it under his heel. Now, the believe it or not, the Bible gives us enough information to date creation. Did you know that? If you read the Bible and study it well enough, it gives you enough information to know pretty close to how long it took from creation to the time of 1 AD, all right? Around the time when Jesus was born. It was a, approximately 4,150 years. Now, I posted an article on Facebook. How many of you are on Facebook? Probably, I don't expect tons, but some, all right? If you're on, if you're on Facebook, go look at that article. It's on creation.com. It's very succinct. It's very understandable. And there's scriptures that backs all the, the historical timelines um, that, that gives us this timing of 4,100 years. Now, we don't know when Adam and Eve sinned. They could have been on earth for 50 years, 30 years, one year, 30 days. I don't know. So we don't know that piece. But we know about 4,000 years ago this happened. And... Um, let me say something else about Facebook or social media or anything that you're on. Did you know you can use it for God's glory? I encourage you to take our Facebook posts and repost them so that more people can see what it is. We, re we post our sermons on there. We post valuable resources or are starting to post valuable resources. Repost this stuff so that other people can see it as well. Use it as a tool to reach people for Jesus. Use every tool that you have. But anyways, um, it's interesting in Romans 16.20. Now remember the Old Testament, the New Testament. Romans is in the New Testament. It's after Jesus was born, uh, died, was resurrected, and ascended to heaven. Romans 12, written by the Apostle Paul, excuse me, Romans 16.20 says, The peace of God will soon crush Satan under your feet. Isn't that funny? He took that same visual and applied it to us who are Christians, who have Christ Jesus living in our hearts. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. All right? That prophecy spoken of over 6,000 years ago, we have seen fulfilled, and you can see fulfilled in your life every day. Every day. What's the difference between all these people that I've just mentioned? They didn't have prophecy. <laughs> Out. Let's look at Isaiah. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over several prophecies today, and they're all in the reading list, and I encourage you to study them, get acquainted with them, because prophecy is incredibly important to a Christian's life. All right, Isaiah 40, verse 3, is speaking of a, uh, something that was going to happen right before Jesus started his ministry. 
and was prophesying about a different person. And here it goes, Isaiah 40, verse 3, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley is going to be raised, and every mountain and every hill made low. The rough ground will be made level, and the rugged places a plain. In other words, we're going to make it a smooth path. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it all together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's prophetic. That's prophecy. That's foretelling the future in accordance with the will of God. Now, biblical historians tell us that the book of Isaiah, where I just read from, was written between 739 B.C. and 681 B.C., all right? Approximately 700 years before Jesus was born, this prophecy took place. Now, who is he talking about? Well, let's, let's find another scripture that also prophesied about this individual and what he would do. This is found in Malachi 4, verses 5 through 6. It says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah. Now, at that point in time, the prophet Elijah had already died. <laughs> but everybody in Israel and Judah knew who the prophet Elijah was. And if you get a chance, read about him. He's, he has a very interesting life story. But he says, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Wow, that's powerful. That has a lot of oomph behind it, right? A prophecy written by Malachi uh, around 772 B.C. Wow, over 700 years before Jesus was born, this, this prophet was, uh, was, was talked about or discussed and prophesied in the Bible. Who was this person? Well, let's look at Luke 1.14. We're going to be cruising across back and forth the New Testament, Old Testament all morning long. So if you're following on along, you're going to have to be really quick and nimble here. Luke 1.14 says, he will, so there was this man named Zechariah who was very old. His wife was very old. And um, he went into the temple. We're going to read more about this uh, uh, on next Sunday when we read the story about Jesus. Um, he's very old, his wife was very old, and he had this vision as he was sacri- making a sacrifice in the temple. And this angel appears and speaks to him and says, uh, you're going to be with child. Your wife is going to have a child in her old age. He will be the joy and the delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. This is not speaking of Jesus. This is speaking of his son that he was to have. He will never take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Wouldn't that be nice? He will bring back many people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. This was the individual 700 years before that was being prophesied about John the Baptist. Isn't that amazing how God foretold what was going to happen? He will turn, and interestingly enough, the angel almost quoted verbatim what was prophesied 700 years before. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Speaking of John the Baptist, and Jesus later on in another scripture refers to John the Baptist 
as the Elijah that was prophesied about. But let's move on. Let's look at other prophecies. Did you know there's something crazy like, I think it's 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. Now, we're not going to cover all 300. That'd be too much. But we're going to focus in, in particular on the birth of Jesus in those prophecies. But Genesis, um, Genesis 12. So if you're ever tempted to, t- to dabble in Wicca, ask yourself, was the founder in Wicca, was he prophesied about in the Bible? No. Why should I follow a self-proclaimed person like Buddha? If Jesus was proclaimed by the Bible and prophesied about the Bible by the Bible thousands of years in advance, shouldn't I be focused there? Wouldn't that make a lot more sense? Let's look at another one. Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abraham, or Abram at that point, his name hadn't been changed. He said, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land that I will show you. Verse 2 of, verse of chapter 12 in Genesis. I'll make you into a great nation. See, this was before Israel uh, came into being. The, the Jews became a nation or even were known of. He said, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, that's pretty vague and pretty ambiguous. But later on, after he'd had his son, over 25 years later, another an angel speaks to Abram at that point, Abraham, and says, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. It becomes clear and clear that there was something specifically, precisely, that was, was going to come from him, from his descendants, to bless the whole world. And that's fulfilled in nothing less than John 3.16, when Jesus says, God so loved the world, the world, all nations will be blessed through you. The world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever would believe on him would not perish but have eternal life. It was fulfilled in Jesus. All the world was going to be blessed because of Jesus' birth. Let's look at another one. That, by the way, um, this whole story of Abram was 2091 B.C. is estimated when he first heard from God and was sent at age 75, left the Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. So 2091 years before it happened, prophesying that something was going to come from Abraham that was going to bless all nations. But let's, let's jump forward now over a thousand years deep into history to a, a king named David a king named David. And here in 970 B.C., all right, 970 years before A.D. 1, in 2 Samuel 7, 16, uh, the prophet Nathan is speaking to David, and he tells him, he gives him a prophecy, and he says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. In other words, before God. Your throne will be established forever. Now, can you imagine if, if a prophet told that to you and said, you know what, something's going to happen and your throne is going to endure forever. What an amazing thing. Let's look at the fulfillment of that. Of course, it's, there's fulfillment of this all, of, all across the New Testament, but let me share with you one, one place in particular in Luke 1, 31. Here, I believe it's Mary 
has the angel speaking to her, and, and he says, You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and call the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. There's the fulfillment of that prophecy that was almost a thousand years old at that point in time. Who else has received prophecies like this? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And then in Revelations 11, uh, 15, we see some more angelic things going on here. It says, The kingdom of the Lord of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. There's the prophecy. Why do we believe in Jesus? Because he not only was prophesied about, the fulfillment of those prophecies has taken place and will continue to take place. But let's read on another prophecy. Here written in about 735 B.C., 735 years before, in Isaiah 714, it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. How many of us want signs? Well, we all want signs. We'd all like to know for sure positively that this, that, or the other thing is going to happen. I will give you a sign. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning what? God with us. God with us. Well, 730, maybe 740 years later, in Luke 131, a scripture I've already read of the angel interacting with Mary, he finishes up in Luke 134. He says, Mary says, how shall this be since I'm a virgin? Isn't that something? He, the angel answers, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For the Holy One that is to be born will be called the Son of God. Why was it so important for a virgin to conceive Jesus? Because he was to be the Son of God. The Son of God. He was the Son of Man and that he was born from, of Mary, but he was the Son of God and that he was conceived through the Holy Spirit. See that 735 years before. Another prophecy in Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Did you know nothing in the United States happens outside the control of God Almighty? Nothing. Nothing in this world happens outside the sovereignty and the oversight of God. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. So those who debate Jesus' divinity here, it's prophesied. He will be referred to as Mighty God. Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and the peace, there will be no end. Endless. For eternity, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It is going to happen, and it did happen. It did happen. Jeremiah 23 5, by the way, which 
uh, Jeremiah ministered and wrote the, uh, the, the books that he was involved with uh, between um, 627 B.C. and 582 B.C. So here, approximately 600 years before A.D. Uh, year 1. Jeremiah 23.5 says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And we won't get into the meaning of that word branch. A king who will reign wisely and do what is right and just in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And this is the, um, and this is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. Praise God. And the fulfillment of that we see. So it's talking about him coming from the line of David. That's what these prophecies are alluding to. He's going to take the throne of his father, David. And in this, in this fulfillment, we see this clearly in Matthew 1. You should take a look at it sometime this week. I'm not going to read it all, but it's the genealogy that goes from Abraham, the man through whom the whole world would be blessed, all the way to David all the way to the exile of Israel into Babylon, and all the way from Babylon to the time when Jesus was born. That genealogy, 14 generations from one, from, uh, well, I'll read it here to you real quick. It's in um, uh, Matthew 1, 17. It says, There were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Man, prophetic. God knew it all along, and he was alerting us to it. And it's recorded in Scripture, and it's available to us for us to be sure that the man we serve, the God we serve, was in fact prophesied about. That should give us a lot more confidence in who we have placed our faith. But Isaiah 11, going back into Isaiah, through which we find a lot of prophecies about Jesus found there in Isaiah. But Isaiah 11, verse 1, it says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Now, if you go back into Matthew 1, don't do it, but just take my word for it. Who was David's father? Jesse, that's exactly right. So here in reference to the throne, the king... King David, his father was Jesse. And so here, referenced in Isaiah, man, is, is, is referenced David's father, Jesse. It says, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. A spirit of wisdom and of understanding, a spirit of counsel and of might, and a spirit of the knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Let me just read on. He will, be, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Aren't you thankful for that? That the poor are watched over by God? that he cares for them, that he rules justly on their behalf. The wolf, listen to this, this is amazing. Uh, well, actually, I've skipped here. He will strike the earth with a rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and the faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will lie down with a lamb. The leopard will lie down with a goat. The calf and the lion with a yearling together, and a little child will lead them. What was he referring to? Here... He's referring to something that's still in the future for us. The millennial reign of Jesus. 
that is prophesied and discussed throughout the Bible and is yet to come. And, and this is what gets Jews so wound up about Jesus. They say, but Jesus is supposed to be ruling on earth visibly, bringing peace to the whole earth. Jesus is going to do that, but he hasn't done it yet. Amen. And that's why we not only have prophecy about what's happened, but also what's going to happen. Praise the Lord. And so it says the cow will feed with a bear. The young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw with like the ox. The infant will play in the cobra's den. How would you love it if you didn't have a thing to worry about your kids? Wouldn't that be wonderful? The day is coming when that's going to happen. But listen to this in verse nine of the scripture that we're reading here. Um, Verse 10, actually, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. There's a day coming, praise God, when Jesus is going to reign physically on this earth. We're going to see him. We're going to know him. The Bible says the knowledge of God will cover the whole earth as the waters cover the, the face of the earth. Praise God. I'm looking forward to that. And you know what? My God is faithful because he's fulfilled everything to date that he said he was going to. That means I can trust him to fulfill the rest of it as as well. We serve a risen Savior, a powerful God, the mighty Son of God. Praise God. He's going to do everything that he said he's going to do. So let let me just go back here just real quick and point to something that I've already read because here's the fulfillment of this. See if I can find it. In Isaiah 11, verse 2, it says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel, of might, fear of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And if you look at Luke 4, 14, Jesus has spent 40 days and 40 nights being tempted, all right, being tempted by Satan himself. And the Bible says in Luke 4.14, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, and there he, uh, where he was brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was the custom. He stood up to read and the, he's, he's the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. The very words, the very book that we were just reading from, he takes that scroll out, he reads it, he unrolls it, he reads it, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolls up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and everybody's eyes in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began saying to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Isn't that powerful? declared 700 years before that the Messiah was going to come and the spirit of the sovereign Lord was going to be upon him. And sure enough, there in their hearing, right there in front of them, that scripture was fulfilled. Praise God. Micah 2.5, another prophet. And this is, this is crazy. You're going to like this one, all right? Micah 5.2, not 2.5. Sorry about that. Micah 5.2, but you, Bethlehem, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will rule Israel, 
whose origins are from of old. Oh, man. Praise God. From ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. In other words, that the Jews are pulled back together again from all the parts they've been scattered to. Verse 4, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth. Now, Micah was written... Uh, he was somewhat of a contemporary with Isaiah a little bit before, but in 772 B.C., almost 800 years before, he declared it's coming from Bethlehem. The Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. And this was so ingrained in the Jewish and in, in the Jews, they were looking for it to happen. They actually expected this prophecy to take place, so much so that when Herod was, um, had the Magi come to him, he went to the priests and the Pharisees and said, hey, where does prophecy say that the Messiah is going to be born? And they said, in Bethlehem. It was a well-known fact and expected to happen. In fact, there's writings of early Jewish writers before Jesus' time that were writing about this outside the Bible. They were writing in expectation. Bethlehem is where it's going to happen. Well, the fulfillment of this is obviously in Luke 2, verse 4. And Joseph comes up from the town of Nazareth because there's been the census and goes to Bethlehem, the town of David, because that's where he was, that's where he was from. And there so happens, as fate would have it, it's not fate, it's God's plan, there Mary had her son, her baby, Jesus. And today, in, in, excuse me, in verse 11, there was, uh, you know, there was shepherds out there uh, in the fields, and um, it says uh, the, the shepherds told these, excuse me, the angels told these shepherds, in the town of David, a Savior is born to you. There's the fulfillment once again of prophecy. The fulfillment right there. When God says he's going to do something, he is going to do something. And it's not just for, you know, eternal, worldwide, global. If he's promised you something, he's going to fulfill it. And the Bible says that God does nothing save through telling it to his, 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 uh, the prophets, uh, his servants, the prophets. I'm telling you, God is whispering promises into your heart. You need to take hold of those. Because the sovereign God has spoken them, he's going to fulfill them. And it's an insult to him if you don't believe that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. You believe him, you take him at his word. Well, I won't read in Matthew 2 where I'd already mentioned how Herod, you know, he, he inquired of the scholars and the religious people. They were expecting Jesus to be, or not Jesus, the Messiah, to be born in Bethlehem. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Now, here's an obscure prophecy that I find interesting. I'd never focused in on this until I was kind of studying this myself this week. But in Hosea 3, verses 4 and 5, this is an interesting one. Now, Hosea's writings were between 755 B.C. and 715. So, again, it's all a lot of this is in that seven to eight hundred years before the time of, of Jesus. But Hosea 3, verse 4, verses 4 and 5, the Israelites, this is, this is what is said, for the Israelites will live many days without prince, without king or prince, without sacrifice, without sacred stones, without ephod or without household gods. 
afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. Isn't that something? Obviously not speaking of literal David, but the, the, the root of David, the, the, the Messiah. Everyone would have, would have read it to, to, to be as such. He will come, uh, or excuse me, they will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. And sure enough, man, God did it. I challenge you to meditate on Hosea 3, 4, and 5. There's something there that's just so powerful, as, in, as is the case in all scriptures. But sure enough, Israel was taken into captivity from, by Babylon and never, never was quite the same again. They were without sacrifice. They had all kinds of things happen between that period of time. At one point, they had a pig offered as a sacrifice, which was just the, the worst possible thing you could do, do to a Jew there in their temple. And, and things went from bad to worse until Jesus appeared. And then everything changed. Everything changed. But again, in Hosea 11.1, another prophecy is given. It says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. And that's referencing Matthew 2, verses 13, all the way down to 21. I won't read it because of time here. But uh, uh, Joseph found out that Herod was coming through an angel, was coming to kill all the children in that area. At night, he picked Mary up, got Jesus, and they went to Egypt. I don't know if you know that, but the, the Bible it des describes he goes to Egypt and then eventually was called back from Egypt, and that's when he settled in Nazareth. But he was called out of Egypt, and that was another prophecy uh, that was fulfilled. There's several other ones. I can't go over all of them. I want you to write down maybe Jeremiah 31, 15. This is in your readings. If, you, if, you, if You'll get a chance to read it yourself. Psalm 72, unbelievable prophecies about Jesus there in Psalm 72, written in about 1015 B.C., long, long before Jesus. Micah 3, uh, I'm going to read this one. This is, this is so good. Micah chapter 3, verse, I believe, 1, it says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me, then suddenly, so that's speaking of John the Baptist, but then it says, then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temp temple, just like Jesus did. He will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant, referring to Jesus as bringing the new covenant to us. And when we look in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five, it says in the same way after the supper, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. There's prophecies, and there's many prophecies about the new covenant, but I love this one in particular in Malachi 3. The last one that I'll mention, this, this was, again, this was so exciting just reading this. I, I'd never stopped to look at prophecy this way, but this is still in Malachi 3, now verse 2. It says, Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? He will be like a refiner's fire, a launderer's soap. Uh, that's not pleasant stuff. <laughs> a, a refiner's fire, that's what refines the silver and the gold. It hurts, it burns, it, it takes impurities out of you. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of gold. He will purify the Levites and refine them like silver and gold. Who was Jesus coming to? Well, he came for the world, but he was coming for those who would be leaders and he was refining them. And what he came and found were Pharisees and Sadducees that were hypocritical. 
Who of us doesn't like organized religion? I don't like organized religion. I don't like hypocrites. I don't like all that stuff. That's who Jesus was coming to confront, and he in fact did in Matthew 23, 13. He fulfilled this prophecy. Malachi was back in 1445 B.C., 400 and almost 50 years before this happened, he prophesied that Jesus would do what he did in Matthew 23, 13, where he said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, and you yourselves don't enter it, nor do you let them enter it either. He goes on in verse 15, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and then when you've succeeded, you make him twice as much the child of hell as you are. That's a launderer's soap. That's a refining fire. He goes on, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And he goes on. I challenge you to read this. It's in your readings for this week. You read how Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. He says, You brood of snakes, you vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? That's tough. I don't want to be in that group. <laughs> I don't want to be in that group. I want to be found <laughs> in Christ, justified, Amen. cleansed, and non-hypocritical. I want to be what's inside of me, the same thing that's on the outside of me. I want to be the same person at church that I am at work. I want to be the same person when I'm praying to God that I am with my family. I want to be consistent. Amen? Amen. So Jesus prophesied was prophesied about, and he is full, has fulfilled or will fulfill every single prophecy. What sets Christianity apart from every other religion or philosophy? Well, there's many things, but one of them is prophecy. One of them is prophecy. And what sets Jesus, the Son of God, apart from every other prophet or any other leader of the world? Prophecy. 2 Peter 1, 2, 21 2 Peter 1.21 says, Prophecy never had its origins in human will, but prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Again, Charles Russell, he wasn't prophesied about. Just because Jehovah's Witnesses come and knock on your door doesn't mean that they have the truth. Mary Baker Eddy, founder of Christian Science, there's no prophecy about her, nor was there about Joseph Smith or Gerald Gardner or Buddha or Muhammad. None of these people had prophecies about them, but Jesus did. Amen. And you can bank on your faith in Jesus.